Did you guys raise a hallelujah? Did you raise it? Some of y'all kept it kind of low. It's okay to raise a hallelujah. We want to do that in the presence of our enemies. I, uh, I just have something to share here with you at the beginning as we get into this. Uh, I think it was uh, around 2009, uh, we were doing, Jessica and I were doing ministry with another couple. We were working with college and career students, and they had invited us on a Friday night um, in October to go see Third Day, and we were excited about that, and we were, the problem was is our schedule was super busy. I know I had to work the next day, and we ended up declining the, the offer, and we had just seen Third Day the year before, and we were kind of thinking like that. But later that night, um, the couple sent us a picture, uh, and we have it here. If you guys would scroll forward, there's uh, Mac Powell of Third Day, the Christian rock band, in the middle, and there's the couple, uh, there's Fred, the people with the really nice teeth. That was the other couple we were working with, perfect teeth kind of a thing. But they sent me that picture, and I was like, what in the world? It turns out they didn't just have tickets to see Third Day. They had a full access backstage pass kind of a thing, and then sent us a picture, obviously, to make us feel bad that we didn't agree to go. And, and you know, we, we missed out, and obviously I regretted it. You know, we regretted it some. And, and as you're thinking about that, here, here's the deal for us today. If you don't know it yet, God has given His children a full access pass to Himself. Now, many of us have missed out on that, and many in this life will regret the fact that they haven't taken full advantage of the fact that we have access to God. Full access as believers, as children of God, to our Heavenly Father. Now church, as we get in this today, we come to a wonderful portion of Scripture. Jessica has already read for us from Luke chapter 18. And, uh, and there's several things happening in this chapter. We're not going to touch on everything. But since the Scripture has already been read, we're going to go ahead and pray and we're going to get into the message. Uh, Father in heaven, we love you today. We thank you that we can just come and worship. Lord, we thank you for your believers around the world. Uh, some are, are in hiding. Some are in the open. Some, as Jay was saying, was reading from maybe a, a portion of Scripture and they share it and they memorize it. And, and these collective groups of Christians, regardless of where they are, they are worshiping You. And we've come to hear from heaven today, and I do pray, as I continue to pray, that You give us spiritual eyes to see Your kingdom, that You give us spiritual ears to hear what the Spirit has to say for the church in the 21st century. And Lord, that we are becoming the disciples You've called us to be obedient children. Um, those who not only say they believe, but follow You and are obedient to You. And I pray as we hear the words today, we realize that we have full access to You as Your children. And that we must repent and put off the religion to accept You for all that You are. Lord, but we also are to give You full access to our hearts. That You may cleanse us. That You must make us, that You will make us into uh, more like You. That we are to be as You are. Bless Your words as they go forward in Christ's name. Amen. 
Now, church, today we've had, we've gone through our Christmas series, we've gone through our first of uh, the year series, and now we're getting back into the life of Jesus. And this has been very exciting for me just to get into one of the letters of the Gospels uh, that teach about Christ, because largely what we've talked about is uh, what we've seen in Christianity is a kind of superficial Christianity in a sense that uh, we kind of believe, but we're not teaching what the Scriptures say about who Jesus is. In this manner, as we walk through the life of Jesus, through the Gospel of Luke, we actually get to see what Jesus did, what He actually taught about the kingdom, about Himself, and how we're to live as Christians. And some of these things are very severe. And we've kind of reduced Jesus into this good, moral, hippie kind of a homeless guy. But He is the Lord. He is God in the flesh, and He has a message for us, and we want to hear what He has to say. And we should finish uh, with the life of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke sometime by the end of April, and I have some uh, plans after that. And once we finish, we will have completed the entire book of Acts and Luke, both of Luke's writings, two entire books, which is exciting. And I have a, an idea about what we may do in the Old Testament. But in our Scripture today... This parable deals with a judge who doesn't fear God or respect people. And there's a woman who is pestering the judge. She is a persistent woman in her cause. Uh, but we have to understand something first as we proceed. And the first thing I want to talk about is, is what is a parable? So when it says that Jesus taught parables, what does that mean exactly? It says here again in verse 1, And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray, and not lose heart. So Jesus, here it is, is talking about prayer, not losing heart. And he's going to go into this parable to explain these things. But first, what is a parable? Some of you have been taught that a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That has been passed around for years. That is a decent definition. But parables were stories given by Jesus to illustrate spiritual truths for us. And I think it, when we say heaven, we think of a future place, uh, but they are present spiritual teachings for us right now to understand who God is and how we're to live as Christians. Now, in the Greek, if you look at the word parable, it basically means a, play, uh, a placing of one thing beside another. So when Jesus is doing this, he's giving a teaching beside a story to make a point. It is a, just, a juxtaposition, putting something beside it for a comparison at times and a contrast. And that's the thing Jesus did. It wasn't just always comparisons. It wasn't just that he's comparing himself to this thing or the kingdom to these things. There are often contrasts. This is what I'm talking to you about, but it is a contrast from who God really is. And this, here's the parable. The persistent widow is here in verse 3. And there was a widow in the city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. Now at first glance, because Jesus mentions that we should always pray and, and not lose heart, we assume this is a comparison to us and how we should be that we are to keep pestering God until He hears us. And we usually will attach this, ask, seek, and knock. And, and that's been taught for years, but there's something here I want you to see. Let's look at the situation a bit closer. I have a picture here. I want you guys to see this. That uh, Here's the judge. Obviously, the woman is coming after him. It's kind of hard for us to put our, our, our mind into the situation. That She has a situation. She's coming to him, and here he is going the other direction. Um, obviously, it says he does not respect God. 
Um, and this is a political position within the nation of Israel. He doesn't respect God. He doesn't respect people. Uh, he could care less about this woman's situation. And this is just like the modern politician. They say what they got to say. They do what they got to do to get the position. But they don't really care. He has the position now. Why care? Now my, my job now is just to stay in the office, get the pay, do whatever I want to do. Um, and here it is. This woman is continually coming to this judge to help in her situation. Now it says she's a widow and so you could imagine that the reason Jesus says she's a widow because the, the breadwinner, the husband, is deceased. He's gone. And we can only suppose and imagine what the situation was. And I, as I'm reading this, I, I think maybe a single woman is struggling to pay rent. Or maybe there was a, a mortgage in the situation. And the husband has been paying on this house for years. She had a place to live. She had security. She had all her needs met. And now the husband has passed, and the way the situation was there, it's not that there's a bunch of savings or anything. Maybe they were right on the verge of paying this home off, and these greedy bankers come in and say, you know what, she's falling behind on the mortgage. We can come in, foreclose, and they, though they've paid and almost paid this thing off, we can start over with someone else and make a ton of money. And that's why it would say that they have become her adversaries. Because they're hurting this woman. I've heard of situations where men have showed up in situations where widows and wanted to be paid a different way. It is a horrible situation. And these things still happen in the world today. Obviously, again, they are now her adversaries. And here it is. She has come to the judge for help. Again, he doesn't care. She's coming day after day, and the secretary keeps her at bay. Uh, he's not available today. He's at lunch. He's not here. And she comes into the building. These, this is usually outside in the first century, the way they handled things. But today, obviously, a judge has a chambers where he can hide. And she's trying to get in. And the secretary said he's not in today. So she decides to pack her lunch. And she starts sitting outside waiting in the parking lot, waiting for this judge to show up. So she jumps him in the parking lot. Look, I have this situation. He's making his way to get away to hide in the office. And he realizes she's not going to give up. She's not going to stop. So I have to give in. I have to help her, not because I care, but because she's beating me down. I'm getting a headache. I'm worried with this thing. People in the town are going to start to think I'm a bad guy, and it may affect my position. Again, he doesn't care. He's only doing it for the nature of he doesn't want to be bothered. He cares more about himself. And it says here, the judge says within himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this woman keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Why will I help her? Not because I care, because she is pestering me. And so Jesus gives us insight into this. And Jesus says here, hear what the unrighteous judge says. Look at the, look at the deal here. The judge does not care. The only reason he's going to help her it's because he's, she's pestering him. Will not the living God give justice to his elect, his chosen, his children, his believers who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. And that's it. It's not a comparison. It's a contrast. This is not comparing God to this ungodly, unrighteous judge. It's saying God is nothing like that at all. That God wants to hear from you. 
That if you have a concern, God is listening day and night and He acts fast. He moves on your behalf because He loves His children. Because you, as the children of God, have a full access pass to the Heavenly Father. He loves you. I could preach a sermon series uh, for a year on the love of God and I wouldn't even chip away at this, this love that our God has for His people. He wants you to call out to Him. He loves to hear from you. Why? Because we have full access to our Heavenly Father. He welcomes the prayers. Now, I love to hear from my kids, but I am in the flesh. I am human. And sometimes that daddy, 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 daddy stuff, you're kind of like, I need a break, you know. But God receives it. It is, He wants to hear from you. Uh, you do not pester God when you come to Him. If anything, we are to come to Him by faith with confidence, knowing that He's our Father. I should know that I can go to my Father and He wants to hear from me. Now here's the divine revelation on the matter. It tells us here we have full access, the writer to the Hebrews, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we're not standing far off. We draw near into the grace of God that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. When you're in need, go to God with confidence. You're welcome into the throne room of God. Romans 5, Paul, through him we have also, also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. You have access by faith. Ephesians 3, in whom we have boldness. Now why can we have this confidence and boldness? Because of what Christ has done. Actually, in this old temple, uh, when Christ died, it says that the, the veil was torn. It was a way of keeping people from the outer realm of worship to the most holy of holies. You could not go in there and have access. When Christ died on the cross, it was ripped. And they said, from the top to the bottom, that means God tore away this veil that you can have full access to Him. We'll get into that a little more in a minute. That we can come to Him with boldness. He's my Father. I come to Him with confidence, by faith. Because I believe this. I know that Christ has made a way for me to have access to my Father's children of God. Christ made a way, and by faith we have full access to pass into uh, the throne room. Esther's a great portrait of that. As she made her way into the throne room because she believed that she could do this. You don't have to pester God. It's not about pestering Will you, will you listen? Will you listen? I, hope, I sure hope he listens. The Bible talks about not being double-minded. We think God doesn't even want to listen. And we think we're supposed to do a bunch of good things for him, for us to have access. You are to come with all your problems and all your issues and bring them to God. He wants to listen and he gives you wisdom. The book of James talks about this. I don't know if Jarvis has gotten into it yet. But we ask him for wisdom. And He gives it. When is the last time you've asked God for wisdom in this scenario? There's been times I'm praying and I'm like, and I'm thinking, what am I going to do in this situation? And, and we were just watching a kid's story the other day, Superbook. Emma loves to watch this. Uh, it's a free Christian animated series on Amazon Prime. She loves Superbook. And it, these kids go into the Old Testament and see these stories. And they happened upon the story of King Solomon. He prayed out of all things, not for riches, but that he would have wisdom to deal with the people. 
And God bonused it with riches. Wouldn't that be great? God, I need this little thing. I'm going to give you this also, right? The point was he asked for wisdom and God gave it. I'm praying to God and sometimes I forget that he wants to give us wisdom. Lord, give me wisdom in this situation. He wants to give it to you. He wants you to understand these things. We go to God. He answers prayer. Listen what the Apostle John had to say, 1 John 5. And this is the confidence, this reoccurring theme that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. That is a good thing to bring into it. Am I praying God's will? And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked for him. Do you have to ask God if you need to share the gospel? It is the will of God to do that. It is the will that all people be saved, that we share the gospel with our family members and we're wanting wisdom. How do I deal with this? And God can give you wisdom on how to approach people. But it is His will for people to be saved, for you to tell them the gospel, for you to be kind, to do acts of mercy and love and kindness in the community. And here it is. He gives it. He answers the request. Now there's this first parable about the access of God's children to Him. He wants to hear from you. And there's another parable here about the Pharisee and the tax collector. In verse 9 it says, And he also told this parable to some, this is interesting, to many, (laughs) it might have been how I would have translated it, but obviously Luke knows what he's talking about. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So you're dealing with two parables, and both of them actually have to do with access to God. Now, I believe when Jesus told these parables that they were very relevant and the people understood exactly what Jesus was talking about when he did this comparisons and contrasts. I think when he talked about this judge, people knew exactly who he was talking about. They saw this scenario happen. Obviously, in Luke chapter 16, it's called Lazarus and the rich man, that they probably knew exactly who this person was, that Lazarus was going and living by this rich person, and then he died. There was key things here that they're watching and and seeing. But here it is. We have a picture. The two men went up into the temple to pray. Uh, One was a Pharisee and one is a tax collector. I love the the illustration here because it kind of shows the contrast again. I mean, the comparison is that they both go to worship, to pray. And it shows the one who obviously look at me and I'm giving and I've come to worship and the other who is holding their head down and remorseful. The Pharisee's prayer is basically this. Look at all I do. And thankfully, I'm not like this other guy. The sinner that everybody knew was a sinner. Now, externally, he had it going on. He had a lot of good things. He had money, things uh, he's giving in the church. He shows up for worship. These are good things that Christ followers should do. The problem is that many think they can bypass Jesus with their self-righteousness. That I don't really need Christ on the inside. That I can start to do these things on the outside and people see it and that is my righteousness. Now, trust me, as a pastor, this is what pastors are dealing with. All kinds of scenarios, all kinds of problems all the time. It was going on in the first century. It is still going on in the 21st century. That people want to bypass Jesus and get baptized. They have not really believed in Jesus Christ, but they they like the idea of baptism. And the older I get and the more I baptize, I am baptizing people that get baptized and don't come back to church. Because they bypassed Jesus Christ and they wanted the outward ritual. 
Um, people bypass Christ and, and salvation and they want to become a church member because they see church as this kind of a club thing. And I've actually had people, and I shared this in the first service, and this is little nuggets I share along the way, and it is for your good. And sometimes we don't want to hear these things, but it is for your benefit um, because of the way we have a tendency to become in the church. I actually had someone tell me because they were a church member and they were a good tie, uh, you know, I give offerings, I give money, I am a member, that they should decide what the music is that we play. Now I want you to imagine this. Let's say you have a church of 150 people and they all decided they want their favorite song played. That's pretty chaotic. And, and here it is. I want, because I am a member, because I tithe, I should have control of what we do in the church. Membership is not some self-righteous title to flex for control. The early church didn't have membership, by the way. You know how they knew? Because they lived it out. The reason we created this term membership was to document who said they were believers and to know if somebody is legit as they're voting and making decisions for the church uh, but membership should be this thing not to flex for control. It should be, I'm committed to the mission there. That is my church. I love the message. I want to be a part of that. We're not using it to control anything, but to fulfill the mission of the church. And I want you to know something else. There's people in the church. Now, there's not some scenario going on. I, I hate if I'm saying that. you probably, well, pastor probably had this issue. I'm, it's not what's going on. These are a lot of past things that I feel like the Lord gives me that we should share because there's so many challenges churches are dealing with today and pastors. That there are people in the church that want to control the direction. And I want you to know, if you turned over leadership to people that want control, do you think the church would do well? If you just want, this is my thing. And you take, okay, you take over the church, what would happen? People don't want to be following people like that. That's not Christianity anyway. But here it is, the dilemma is here. People are very self-righteous so jesus told the parable it says it here so why does he get he told this parable to some who were there who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated not just that i got this thing going on it was even more than that look at him <sighs> they don't he's sinful we know by the way y'all all sinful I know. I watch what y'all post on Facebook. So. <laughs> I am. Um, <laughs> but I, I want you to hear this today. I've watched new people come in and they're struggling. And um, a single parent that doesn't have reins over their kids, they're struggling. You, already, you can see these things. Uh, people that are struggling. I, and, and I see the things. And I'm like, man, that's messed up. But it's not kind of like, well she or he they're just these horrible people is that they need the grace of god um and here it is i want you to see a few things here what can help us one uh, a few things here uh we all have the same starting point it was a level playing field from the beginning we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of god there's none righteous no not one read through the book of romans it'll tell you how sinful you really are we start at that place. One theologian said that is a prerequisite for salvation. You have to be a sinner. We already are uh, sinners. Um, one theologian said this. I love this. There's two kinds of people. Saved sinners and lost sinners. 
a good reminder. Now, we are to be living that sanctified life. We are to be living holy, that sin should not be the norm. But you're either saved or you're lost, and you're still dealing with sin. The second thing is, it is by grace we can be saved through faith. Um, It's not about self-righteous works. I don't think we're going to get to heaven and Jesus says that, wow, you did all these self-righteous acts and it was great. I think it is by the work from the heart that we really care of what we've done. All the stuff on the outside has no meaning if God hasn't cleaned up the inside. It's not about self-righteous works. Third thing here, our works should be an outpouring of the work God has done in our heart. I do this. I'm not saved by works. But now that I'm saved, I work this thing out because I love God and I love people and I want to be obedient to Him. Another thing here, our righteousness comes from God. Paul tells us our righteousness and Isaiah is as filthy rags. And if you want to understand what that means in the Greek, it's pretty bad. It means whatever you think is the best in your life is actually disgusting in the eyes of God unless it has come from who He is. Our righteousness truly comes from God. Our righteous standing does not lead to contempt for others. Now that God has, I have turned from sin, I've repented, He's making things right in my life, it should move us to love others, not have contempt for them. Sin is easy to spot. I see it all the time. We're dealing with challenges all the time. It is easy. I could just say, nope, not dealing with them. They're a sinner. That is not what the mission of God is. It's because we are sinners, God still loves us, that He wants to save us. And that's what the mission of the church is. When you recognize that and you're tempted to do a comparison of your standing with somebody else, that is the wrong comparison, by the way. Because you can always find someone you feel like you're doing better than. What our comparison should be is to Christ. How am I living according to what Christ has called me to? Because we can all make ourselves look good. And it should move us to love people. Let's get into the tax collector and what he has done here. His prayer versus the the, uh, Pharisee, verse 13. But the tax collector, he is standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he beat his chest saying, God, be merciful to me. And what does he say? Key word, I am a sinner. You know what the Bible tells us? If you say you don't have sin, you make him a liar. Why? That is why Jesus came. Paul says this, Jesus Christ came into the world to save people that already have it figured out. Does it say that? No. To save sinners. And Paul says, of whom I am the worst coming out of the life of a Pharisee. This is the prayer of someone who truly recognizes their sin and their need for God. And here's our present problem today. We have people who, who want both salvation and their sin together. Um, I deal with self-righteous religious people, and I also deal with people that want salvation and a life of sin. And here's the problem. Both are denied access to Jesus Christ unless they repent. The religious man who has developed a life of outward works that look righteous has no access to God unless he repents. And Christ has access into his heart. The one who says they want Jesus and recognizes their sin but doesn't repent and turn from their sin is denied access as well. They have to come and repent and believe in Jesus Christ. So we have to also, since... The boundaries today in dealing with sin. 
We're not in the business of setting people up to fail either. We recognize this thing. Yes, we all have this equal playing field. But if somebody struggles with alcohol, we're not using them to help lead a church in a bar. If somebody has a history of affairs, they don't need to do marriage counseling. You recognize that there's a boundary in dealing with even somebody coming out of sin. But we are at a place, um, we should be as a church, a place for people to find forgiveness. But repentance still matters. There should be a change, a humble desire change in recognizing our sin. Here in this parable, this is what is good. This man truly is repentant. He looks at what he has done. And I want you to know how bad this is. He has betrayed his people. He is a Jew He decided to work for the Roman authorities. And what is he doing? He's collecting taxes from his people. In his opinion, that is the worst of the worst. And I want you to know, if you ever are self-employed and you have to write that tax check, you're going to think tax collectors are evil too. You're like, that's that's the worst of the worst, collecting all this money. But here it is at this time. He's working for Rome. They're overtaxing people. They're killing the economy. And here it is, you evil person, you have betrayed your people, you've betrayed God, you're one of the Romans. He's kept at bay, he can't even come in to worship. And here it is, the the man who's dressed nice, he is the Pharisee, comes in, he's paying his money, he is able to afford the the sacrifice that has no blemish. The priest has gone back with the sacrifice and has made atonement for him, if you will. In the Old Testament, it was the Holy of Holies, of course, we did not have access to the Holy of Holies. We have access now through God, but we have to come the way of Christ. This man, he has no access. How do I bring this sacrifice? Who is going to make atonement for my sins? So he cries out for God. Lord, have mercy on me. I am a sinner. The awesome thing here is as Jesus is telling this parable, he is on his way to the cross to make access for everybody who's denied access, for those who have sin but we are to have full we have full access by the blood of god listen to what paul says about this access through christ but now in christ jesus you who are once afar off have been brought near by the blood of jesus what does he mean there what's paul talking about these people who are afar off the jews were near to god they had the oracles the teachings of god those who are far off are gentiles All the other nations of the world who were in sin now can come near to God by the blood of Jesus Christ. He has made access for the world to come to Him to be saved. They just have to repent. And He came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near, the Jews. But we must repent. And I want you to hear this. A lot of people today are not remorseful over their sin. They just try to put it behind them. Now, I've shared this before, and I'll share it again. When Jessica and I, we did everything backwards first. God had to get a hold of us and, and make correct the path we were on. And I remember going to my grandmother, and Grandma Elkins from Alabama, who knows the word. Every time I talk to Grandma, she says, good to hear from you. The Bible's being fulfilled. That's <laughs> her word to me. All The Bible's being fulfilled. I just want you to know. And, and she, but she had, I'd come to see Grandma, and um, she always made me feel good. But she said, well, just because you got married doesn't make what you were doing right. I was like, man, Grandma, you calling me out, aren't you? She was saying, just because you're married now doesn't mean the thing you were doing was right. She said, you need to repent. What happens is we start doing some good things, 
And we make that our self-righteous atonement. Well, we're married now. It makes everything fine. No, what you were doing before, you need to repent from. It was wrong. If you bring that mentality into your marriage, you'll be very destructive. She reminded me that I had to repent. Here it is also. Watch somebody on trial. I've watched trials for years. Someone who murdered somebody will be on trial, and they'll talk about all the heinous acts. They'll bring out the murder weapon. They'll talk. The witnesses will share. They'll talk about the life of the person. And the murderer, the accused, will not shed a tear. When they pronounce the sentence, life in prison or however many years, then they start boo-hooing and crying. And here's why. They're not crying because of the evil act they did. They're crying because they're going to jail. And there's a difference. And here it is. Somebody, just because they got out of prison and got out of jail, doesn't mean they've repented. They'll come out with a mind frame that says, well, you know, I've already done the time. They need to be remorseful. You should be, you did this evil thing. God, forgive me. I recognize my sin. That is lost in the church today. We need to be remorseful of our sin. Lord, forgive me for what I've done. And here it is. That is, our heart should ache. And we recognize how we used to live. And when you see somebody in that situation, that your heart goes out to them. I understand what they're going through. Lord, save them. Let them recognize. Did you know the Bible teaches that God actually grants repentance? I actually pray that for people. Lord, grant them repentance. That they would see that their sin is wrong. That they are repenting from those things and turning away to Christ. As we close, the question here, the tax collector, the sinner, the self-righteous religious Pharisee, who leaves justified? And Jesus explains it right here. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And here it is. I'm going to leave you with this. You've either come to God as the self-righteous man in this parable. It's here for a reason. Because we try to put on these cloaks of self-righteousness. Or you're as the other person. You've come to God recognizing I am sinful. I need your mercy. I need your love. I need your grace. Here it is as we've shared this 2,000 years later. Which person are you in the story? And as we close in prayer, this is the only way we can make things right. You have full access to God. But before you do, you've got to give Him full access of your own life and your heart. As we close in prayer, I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes, and and let's pray. Let's ask God to, whatever it may be that you need to deal with in your life, or maybe you've been trying to hide from God and He knows what it is, just ask Him to come and have full access of your life. Ask Him for forgiveness to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness and your mercy. We thank you for while we were still living in sin, that you loved us while we were unholy as we were ungodly. You loved us and you were willing to save us. And I pray for your people today to get serious about not just recognizing the sins in the lives of other people, 
but recognizing the propensity of their own heart. That we can be pulled away at any moment. Maybe someone here today is hiding something from you that's not really hidden. And I pray that we are a people that give you full access. That we repent from our sin. That we forsake our sin. That we place our faith in you, recognizing that you've come into the world to save us from our sins. And that we follow you, your teachings, that we're obedient to you. That we are a fruitful people, not self-righteous acts, but evidence that you've changed our hearts. And when we see other people in town that are struggling, that we have remorse, recognizing you know what they're going through. Uh, Lord, that we recognize that uh, you love them as you've loved us. And Lord, that you save them. And Lord, that we reach out and share the gospel with people, that we're willing to get uh, messy, that we're willing to uh, stretch our, uh, our boundaries of love, uh, that we may demonstrate your love to them as you demonstrated your love for us. We love you today. We bless your holy name. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, if you would stand. Now, we're back in the life of Jesus. I'm excited about that. Next week, we're going to deal with uh, where Jesus says, let the little children come to me. We're going to talk about kids. We're going to talk about faith. We're going to talk about the church and ministry. But as you leave today, know this, as you leave, you are missionaries. We always think we're going to have a missionary service. Somebody's going to come from another country and speak. Uh, But we're missionaries in Casper. So as you leave today, I want you to think you are going into the mission field to reach Casper for Christ. Go in grace and peace. You are dismissed. You are loved by your pastor.